So Thor Ragnarok, I bet you didn't think those words were going to come out of my mouth to start this sermon, did you? Thor Ragnarok. So you guys have seen the movie. I assume most of you have out there. I've seen it. So if you haven't seen it, you've got no excuse. Um, Yeah. So in this movie, uh, Thor ends up on this weird planet because he falls out of the sword. If you haven't seen this movie, you're going, what in the world is he talking about? The, 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 the beam thing that this, I don't even know what the sword is, but anyways, the sword causes him to fly up to his home planet, which is, um, somebody help me out here. Asgard. Yeah. Thank you. Anyways, he's flying up there. Something happens. The sword gets taken out. He falls out and he ends up on this weird planet. And in this weird planet, in this like Hunger Games ripoff twist, there's this competition that takes place where he's got to go battle somebody in this arena. And there's weird people. There's a stick with a giant yellow ball on top of it that melts people. That's crazy. But Thor has to go fight. And it's kind of like a gladiator type situation. And he has to go fight the champion. And all he knows is it's the champion. And, and so he's anticipating this. He puts on his, his stuff and he gra- grabs his axe and he goes out there and he stands in the middle of the arena and everybody's chanting. And all of a sudden he, he notices everybody wearing green and everything else. And then all of a sudden the, the champion enters the arena and the champion is who? Hulk, right? It's the Hulk. And Thor's reaction when he sees the Hulk is what? He goes, yes, right? And he gets all excited. And then what happens? The Hulk proceeds to just beat him senseless, doesn't he? He thinks that he's got a friend in the Hulk, but the Hulk is, is not Bruce Banner. The Hulk is the Hulk, and the Hulk has been the Hulk for a long time at this point in time, and he is not about to treat Thor kindly. And so Thor thinks that the Hulk is going to be his friend, and the Hulk ends up being anything but a friend. Ends up beating him up, treating him pretty badly. Things eventually work out. Bruce and Thor reconcile, and everything ends with the god of fire destroying Asgard. Um, but... All that to say, sometimes we can think that we've got friends, just like Thor in that arena looked at Hulk and thought Hulk was a friend, right? And in reality, the friends that we have are not doing us any good. And sometimes we can think that we are friends to other people, and the reality is that our friendship towards them is not doing them any good. See, the Bible lays out friendship like this. True biblical friendship is caring about your brothers and sisters in Christ to the extent that you are invested in their godliness. You're invested in their relationship with the Lord. Paul's just kind of come out of this section on talking about the the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the flesh and keeping in step with the spirit. And and now he's going to talk to us about, hey, you have to, to help one another out in this because this is hard. This isn't easy. And so he's going to give us some instructions on that. Grab your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to read 6, 1 through 5. 6, 1 through 5. Paul writes this. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Paul begins here with this verse, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then verse 2, he says that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But this word caught... If anyone is caught in a sin, if anyone is caught in a transgression, does that mean then that I have to actually witness the person doing this? 
that I have to actually catch them in the act of the sin. And, and that's what Paul's talking about here. And if I don't catch them in the act of sin, and maybe I just hear about it, or they're talking about it later, then I'm off the hook because I didn't catch them in the sin. No, the word caught there is from a word that means to be overtaken. Like you're being chased down and, and you are overtaken by something. In this instance, it's you are overtaken by sin in your life. That sin has ensnared you, that sin has tripped you up, that sin has made you to, to fall, that sin has you in its grasp, so to speak. And he says that if you as a Christian are aware of that going on in somebody's life, that you need to, to do something about that. You need to confront this person in a spirit of gentleness. Again, Paul's just come out of this whole section on the fruit of the flesh versus the, the fruit of the spirit. We see some of the, the deeds of the flesh that are up there on the screen right now. Uh, things like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, so forth and so on. These are the, the sins that can overtake us. And Pastor John talked about these last week. These are the things that if we're not keeping in step with the spirit, if we're not walking by the spirit, these are the sins that can overpower us. These are the sins that can grab hold of us. These are the sins that can lock onto us that we need to be watching out for not only in our own lives, but also in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we don't want them to be tripped up. We want them rather to be bearing the fruit of the spirit. We want them keeping in step with the spirit. We want to see in the lives of our friends, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we want to see and not these things, not the fruit of the flesh. We don't want to see them enslaved by impurity, enslaved by idolatry, enslaved by covetousness, enslaved by greed, enslaved by drunkenness. And so we need to take a vested interest in their godliness. And Paul says here that those who are witnessing this, those who find their brother or sister in sin, that become aware that they are caught in this sin. He says, you who are spiritual, meaning those of you who are keeping in step with the spirit, those of you who are bearing the fruit of the spirit, you who are spiritual, this is not an elitist title. This is not a, 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 like an uber Christian here. This is simply a believer who's walking by the spirit. You who are spiritual, he says, should restore them. Restore. That word restore means to bring back to a former condition or to repair. You're taking somebody who's drifted and fallen into a state of disrepair through sin, right? And you are bringing them back. You are restoring them. You are repairing them. My wife likes to watch HGTV. And I feel like every single show on HGTV is about restoring somebody's old house. In fact, there's a show on there, I kid you not, right now, and it's called this, Help I Wrecked My House. Like, we're not even pretending anymore. Help, come fix this because I tried to do it on my own and I couldn't do it and I need you to come, what? Restore it. Well, that's what we're to do in one another's lives as Christians. If you see a, a Christian who is caught in a trespass, who is caught in a sin, Paul says, you who are spiritual, you who are keeping in step with the spirit should restore such a person, he says, in a spirit of gentleness. And that's important, that spirit of gentleness, because it's, it's the gentleness that, is indicative of our love for them. Remember back in Galatians chapter five, verses 13 through 14, you can look back on the page or look up on the page wherever it is on your Bible. But Paul writes this in Galatians 5, 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through, what's the next word? Through love, serve one another. 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Part of loving and serving our brothers and sisters in Christ, part of loving our neighbor as ourselves is having a vested interest in their godliness and their keeping in step with the spirit. A lot of times we can kind of feign that it's, well, we don't want to be holier than thou. Well, we're not talking about being holier than thou. We're talking about in love, confronting a brother or sister in Christ who's caught in a sin because you care about them and you want to see them restored to a state of godliness. You want to see them restored to, to walking in step with the spirit. Look at verse two. Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill what? The law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Well, think back to the upper room, John chapter 13. Jesus has just washed the feet of the disciples. Jesus is about to enjoy the last supper with the disciples. Jesus is about to go to the garden of, of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to be betrayed into the hands of the, the Roman guards. Jesus is about to be nailed to a cross. And Jesus says this in John chapter 13. He says, a new commandment, a new law I give to you that you what? Love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this, he says, by this, everyone, are gonna, everyone will know, everyone will, will understand and be able to identify that you're one of my followers. You want to know how? It's not your doctrine. It's not your theology. It's not your, your Bible translation that you carry. It's not what church you go to. The way that people will know that you're my follower is this, that you love one another. That's what Paul's talking about in Galatians 6 too. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. You see a brother or sister in sin and, and Christians, what he's saying here is that we should feel burdened by that for them. We should feel grieved that they are not keeping in step with the spirit. We should feel a love that causes us again to take a vested interest in their godliness and leads us to do what Paul's talking about here in these opening verses, to go to them and in a spirit of gentleness, to confront them and to seek that they would be restored to that right relationship with the Lord. Point number one tonight is all about that. Care enough about your friends to care about their godliness. Care enough about your friends to care about their godliness. You know, if you had a friend, I, I'm guessing, if you had a friend that was close with you or even an acquaintance and they said, hey, you know what? I think I'm gonna start just doing crystal meth because I don't have anything else to do. My guess is you would say, hey, you know what? I just don't know that that's the wisest decision for you to make. Or if you had a friend that was like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna pick up this, this gun that I have and I'm gonna go out with my buddies and we're gonna play Russian roulette. We're just gonna, gonna hang out and spin the chamber and pull the trigger and see what happens. My guess is you're gonna say, you know what? I don't think that that's good for your health. You should probably maybe not do that, right? We all, why don't we see the threat to our friends that sin is in their lives the same way? Why don't we do something when we see our friends in sin in the same way? Paul says this in Ephesians 5, 14 through 15. Rather, he says that we should be what? Speaking the truth in love. We have some people that forget the love side of that, right? But we have a lot of more people that forget the truth side of that. They, they're gonna hide behind the love and they're gonna think that it's loving for them not to confront a brother or sister in Christ in their sin. They're gonna think it's, it's more loving not to bring up sin with another Christian or not to, to question somebody's decisions because after all, they don't wanna be what? Judgmental, right? 
but Paul's telling us, look, we need to speak the truth in love. We need to grow up every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, he's talking about the church now, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is, notice this phrase, what? Working properly. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Part of the church working properly is us speaking truth in love to one another. Part of the church working properly is us being willing to care enough about our friends to step up and say, hey, you know what? I'm concerned because you've got this going on in your life and I don't see that this measures up with scripture. What's going on? Hey, I love you enough right now to tell you that I think that you're in sin in what you're doing. One pastor that I followed has often said a healthy church should be practicing church discipline regularly. Not to the fullest extent where you're putting somebody out of the church, but that initial part where you have people that are going to one another because they love each other that much. They care about each other that much to say, hey, brother, I don't know if you see this sin in your life. Hey, sister, I don't know if you see this sin in your life, but I just want to let you know I've seen it a couple times and I'm concerned about what it might be doing to your relationship with the Lord, your testimony, your witness. That's a sign of a healthy church. In the Old Testament, we've, we see passages like this, Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If y'all's friends are just there to tell you how great you are, then Solomon would say you've surrounded yourself with a bunch of enemies rather than friends. Proverbs 9, 8 says, do not reprove a, a scoffer or he's going to hate you, but reprove a wise man and he will love you. Reprove, which is a word that means to, to correct. Hey, correct somebody who has wisdom and they're going to love you for doing it because they're going to see that it's good for them, that it's loving to them. Proverbs 19, 25, strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove or correct a man of understanding and he will gain knowledge. See, this is part of what it looks like to be a good friend and to be a godly friend is to reprove and to correct and to, to call people back to faithfulness to the Lord. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, and he says this, all scripture, in other words, the Bible, right? The Bible is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. There's that word again, or rebuke even, for, for, for correction. Hey, look, reproof is... I, I need to show you what I, I feel like is, is going wrong in your life right now, the sin in your life right now. Correction is, this is what God is calling you to do instead. And Paul's saying the Bible is useful for that and for training in righteousness in order that the man or the woman of God might be complete and equipped for every good work. Now here's the deal, y'all. This takes intentionality to do this. This is not easy to do this. It's not easy to be this type of friend. It takes a care and a concern that doesn't come naturally to us because what comes naturally to us is just to look out for me and my own, right? What comes naturally to me is just to say, well, I'm gonna focus on me and my relationship with the Lord and we'll get there and that's important. But what comes naturally and, and default to us is not to think about the others in our lives. And then when we do see sin in their life, we're like, oh man, it's uncomfortable for me to bring that up because I don't want them to feel like they're judged by me. I don't want them to not like me. I don't want them to hate me. I don't want them to reject me. But here's the reality, y'all. None of you are doing your friends any favors by not calling them out on sin. None of you are doing your friends any favors when you see the works of the flesh in their life and not the fruit of the spirit. None of you are doing them any favors by just kind of winking and nodding at it and, and shrugging it off like, well, it's just them being them. In fact, for some, it may be even endangering their soul 
Grab your Bibles, if you would, go over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. 1 John 3, 4 through 10. John writes this. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Jesus or known Jesus. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as Jesus is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So Pastor PJ, Apostle John, are you guys saying to me that if I sin, I'm not saved? If I sin at all, I'm not saved? That's not what the text said, right? It said, whoever makes a what? Practice of sinning. Whoever has ongoing, unrepentant, unconfessed sin in their lives, he says, has a severe problem because that is indicative that they are not children of God, but children of somebody else. Children of who? The devil, right? That sounds intense, but y'all, that's one of the reasons why when we see a brother or sister in sin, we need to have the, the love for them to go to them and to call them on their sin because it may be that in some of those circumstances, you may be actually confronting somebody professing Christ who in reality is not a Christian. And if you kind of wink and nod and go, well, that's just them being them, they're maybe a, and we'll tuck this under the brand of a less mature believer and we'll kind of sweep it under the rugs and go on with our life. Uh, in the meantime, you're not calling somebody on their sin who may be in desperate need of being confronted on their sin so they can see that their need for a savior is greater than, that they, than what they understood and that they can turn to Jesus in faith and repentance. I mean, consider the outcomes of what would happen if you care about your friend's godliness to the point that you're willing to have these difficult conversations. The first thing maybe that happens is they reject you. They say, whatever, get lost, I don't care. Okay, that's not fun. I'm not here to tell you that that's fun or, or easy or pleasant or that it feels good, it doesn't. But the second thing maybe is that they're, they're gonna be grateful. Maybe if this is a believer, they're gonna say, you know what, I'm so thankful. Thank you so much for bringing this up to me and having the courage to come and bring this up to me. I didn't see that. I see it now. Hey, will you hold me accountable in trying to battle this? They could be grateful. Oh, the third thing is you could see them come to faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior because they may not be a believer at all. Man, when I consider those other two options, that first option, that first danger of, man, they, they might reject me is pretty small in the grand scheme of things, right? If, if I'm standing before Jesus Christ on the, the day where I stand before him, John, first Bible words, yep. 2 Corinthians 5.10, the bema seat of Jesus, right? When I'm standing there, am I going to be embarrassed to have confronted somebody and have them reject me? Is he going to look at me and be like, dude, what were you thinking, you prideful, arrogant Christian? No. He's going to say, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom. Now, flip that around and think about standing before Jesus and him asking you, hey, you had a friend. And you had a friend who you knew was in sin, 
and you did nothing. Why didn't you do anything? What's your response going to be? Well, Jesus, I was worried that they were going to reject me. Oh, like they rejected me? Yeah. So you consider the scorn of your friend worth more than, than my own disdain? You were more fearful of what your friend would think than what I would think? Right, I mean, when we put it in that perspective, guys, it's, it's pretty clear for us that we need to love others to the point that we're willing to care about their godliness. But there's a way that we need to go about doing that, not only in a spirit of gentleness, but keep reading. Back in verses one, one and then three, Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We just talked about that. But then he says this, keep watch on yourself. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. For if anyone, verse three, thinks that he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Now, this is that part that we like to, to talk about when we're talking about this concept. And that is this, correction without love breeds hypocrisy. Correction without love breeds hypocrisy. And that's what Paul is warning us against here in Galatians chapter six, verses one and then verse three. He's warning us against going out and becoming a bunch of fruit police going, oh, I don't know if I see enough fruit in your life. Where's this fruit? Where's that fruit? How much love and patience and self-control do you have? Misses the boat. Misses the point. That's not what he's saying when he says, if anyone is, is caught in a spiritual trespass, we're not supposed to set up spiritual speed traps for our friends to wait and watch and find out when they're sinning. No, we should just have a, a natural relationship with them that is so close and, and a love for them that is so uh, present that we, we notice when they're out of step with the spirit. So Paul says, look, we, we need to watch ourselves. As much as we're watching others, as much as we're aware of what's going on in others, guys, we need to be watching out for ourselves. We need to make sure that we are humble and that we have a genuine concern for the good of others that begins with a concern for our own godliness. Because we will only be as effective in reaching others in seeing others made more like Christ if we ourselves are making sure that we are pursuing Christ-likeness, that we are wanting to be like Jesus. Y'all, we're only gonna be effective in seeing sin rooted out in our friends' lives if we are first focusing on making sure that we are rooting out sin in our own lives. We have to be healthy before we can go and help somebody who's sick. Point number two tonight is this. Care enough about your friends to care about your godliness. Not, not just about their godliness, but also now about your godliness. If you want to be useful to the Lord in your friends' lives, if you want your friends, when they get to heaven, to go, hey, you know what? Bob, Sue, Steve, Jim, Greg, they were all amazing in my life because they were sharpening forces in my life. God, you provided me friends who really made me love Jesus more. If you want that resume when you get to heaven, which I would hope all of us do, it, it starts with making sure that you yourself are pursuing Christ, that you are keeping in step with the Spirit. And that's why Paul says that we need to look out for ourselves. Look, you who are spiritual, confront them in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, making sure that you're not falling as you're trying to help somebody up, that you're not stumbling as you're trying to get somebody else up off the ground. Guys, I get it. There's little more off-putting off than a, a self-righteous, holier-than-now Christian, right? 
And I'm sure some of you in the room tonight, out here on the patio tonight, have had experiences with people like that. I think we all have. And that is stomach churning. And that just makes us frustrated, makes us mad, makes us angry to sit there and say, who are you, right? When they, it's, it's brought with this spirit of arrogance and the spirit of pride, but that's not what Paul is picturing here for us. He's saying, look, we need to first make sure that we're humbly cleaning out our own lives before we begin to go and look around and find out, hey, is there a need for me to love another person by caring about their godliness in my sphere of friends? Paul got this concept from a guy named Jesus. Matthew chapter seven, y'all talk from a different angle on this passage in your small groups. But in Matthew seven, one through five, Jesus says, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So he's talking to those that are hypocrites here. In verse three, he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do you see what Jesus is driving out there? It's the same thing that Paul's talking about here in our passage in Galatians 6. If you want to be effective in sanctifying, in in having a sanctifying presence in the lives of your friends, make sure that you have a sanctifying focus in your own life. I mean, if you want to see your friends sin less, make sure that you are focusing on sinning less. Right? Just like if in the, the illustration that Jesus uses is absurd and it's supposed to be. You got a little fleck of dust in your eye and some guy walks up to you and he's like, hey, I think you got a fleck of dust in your eye. And he's got a gigantic log sticking out of his. And he's like, hey, let me get that out for you. All the while he's got this gigantic log sticking out of his head. You're not going to trust that guy to grab anything out of your eye. You're going to be like, you're, you're a fool. Look what you got in your own life. Plus, he's not going to be able to be effective in doing that, right? Well, guys, we need to be effective in being loving with our friends to be able to reach out and say, look, I, I love you enough. I've seen this in your life, and I'm, I'm concerned about this. He says we much keep watch on ourselves. That word to keep watch in the Greek, it's to pay careful attention. It's to watch closely, look out for, focus on yourself. Make sure that you are keeping in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5. Make sure that you are seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Because if we're not, we're not going to be effective voices of godliness in the lives of our friends, even if you happen to be right. Even if you do see sin in their life and they do need to be confronted on that, man, if you're not taking care of your own camp, if you're not focused on your own backyard and you've got weeds everywhere to to lean over your neighbor's fence and point out his weeds, the weeds may be there, but your neighbor's going to look at you and be like, dude, take care of yourself before you point out my my problems. And that's what the apostle Paul's driving at with us. The greatest threat to all of this in our own lives is pride, right? And that's why he says this in verse three. He says, if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. See, in that first point, I was talking about we need to love others enough to care about their godliness. Love isn't driving what we're talking about in point number two. Love is not driving that. Pride is driving that. My desire to say I'm better than you, I'm godlier than you, I'm holier than you because, yeah, I may have some junk in my life, but dude, not as bad as what you've got in your life. And Paul says that's a self-deceiving mindset. 
for us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. When we think that we're something, when the reality is that we're nothing, he says we deceive ourselves. These are the people that think that they've graduated to fruit police status, that they can go around and that they can arrest the people that are sinning and say, man, you need to go to jail because you're a sinner. I can't believe you would ever do that. And all the while they're harboring pride and arrogance and deceitfulness in their own lives. And so he says, we need to keep watch daily. Guys, your pursuit of your own holiness, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but your pursuit of your own holiness is an act of love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because as you pursue Christ's likeness, God is gonna make you so much more effective in the lives of your friends. As an encourager, as a, as a cheerleader, as a coach, as, a, as somebody to, to come alongside and to encourage them in their pursuit of Christ's likeness. So there is, yes, that, that vertical element to your own personal holiness between you and God, but there's also that horizontal element to your pursuit of holiness between you and your friends. Paul keeps going, though, in verse 4. He says, but let each one test his own work. So he's going, look, you need to watch out for yourself, lest you think you're something when re the reality is you're nothing. Okay, Paul, how do I do that? What does that look like? Well, he says you need to, to test your own work, and then your reason will be to boast but not in someone else, but, but in yourself. His reason to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This sounds strange, doesn't it, coming from Paul? Suggesting that we should boast in our godliness, especially in the book of Galatians, yes? Because he's been writing so much in this book so far about saying, hey, don't boast that you're righteous in the law. The law can't make you righteous. All the law was meant to do was make you realize that you're a sinner, and so all of a sudden now Paul's pivoting and he's saying, hey, look, if you watch yourself, if you test your works, well, hey, then you're going to have something to boast in. And it's not going to be in your neighbor, but it's going to be in yourself. What was Paul driving at here? Well, first he says that word test. And I think that helps us to understand this. The word test means to examine closely. It means to inspect, to see whether or not something is genuine to know it inside and out. So what Paul is saying, look, I don't want you to be somebody else's fruit police. I want you to be your own fruit police. I want you to examine your own life. I want you to turn your own life inside out to see if you are bearing fruit that is genuine, that is trustworthy, that's authentic. And Paul says, if you do that and you find that, yes, you have fruit in your life, then he says, then you will have reason to boast in those works. Notice that that's future tense though then you will have reason to boast. Well, I think that future event where that boasting comes into play is 2 Corinthians 5.10. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're not gonna be looking at somebody else. That's why he's saying you're gonna boast in yourself alone and not in someone else. Because when you are standing before Jesus on that final day of examination, that final inspection from our Savior, it's not gonna be you standing there going, well, yeah, but Jesus, I was better than this person and I was better than that person and I was way better than that guy and I was better than all of those other people that blew people up and be like, so accept me. No, what are you gonna have to boast in before Jesus? Whether or not you were keeping a step with the spirit. And see, that's not gonna be a prideful boasting before your savior at that moment. That's gonna be a, an appeal, right? That's gonna be a, 
rejoicing in the, the good fruit, born not out of pride, born not out of self-righteousness, born not out of those sinful motives, but born out of a love for Christ. You're going to stand before Jesus and you're going to appeal to that and you're going to rejoice in that. And Paul says, look, you're going to boast in those things. You're not going to be boasting and being better than somebody else, which is what he's talking about here. You're going to bear your own load. There's a way to coast through this life in a state of self-deception, thinking that you're doing well, thinking that you're a Christian, when the reality is your faith isn't in Jesus, your faith is in being better than other people while you hang out around Jesus. And that's what Paul's trying to wake us up to. That, hey, there's this day coming where this final examination takes place, where we are gonna appear before either the great white throne or the, the Bema seat of Christ, right? One of those two, as an unbeliever before the great white throne, as a believer before the, the, the judgment seat of Christ. When we're gonna be laid bare, there's not gonna be anywhere to hide. We're not gonna be able to say, yeah, but it wasn't my fault. We're not gonna be able to blame somebody else or compare ourselves to somebody else. It's gonna be us and God. And Paul's saying, are you ready for that day? Our final point is this. Care enough about your future to prepare for Christ's examination. Care enough about your future to prepare for Christ's examination. Guys, this is where he's, he's turning now from, hey, if you see a brother or sister caught in sin, hey, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. And then he says, hey, and, and while you do that, watch out for yourself. Make sure you're not doing that with wrong motives. Make sure you're not giving them an excuse or a reason why they don't have to listen to you because they can tell that you're prideful or you're arrogant in that. But now he's driving home towards us. Now he's driving home towards us and he's saying, hey, look, again, back to this whole Galatians 5 thing. There's the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. He says, I want you to examine your life because one day somebody else is gonna examine your life. One day God is gonna examine your life. And even as believers standing before the judgment seat of Christ in, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, man, there's going to be stuff that's going to burn up because it's, it's just garbage. It's junk. It's stuff that we did for ourselves. There's going to be other things that pass through that are going to be the rewards, the eternal rewards that we receive. And Paul's saying, look, I want you to be ready for that day. And if we live our lives, Christians, if we live our lives ready for that day, preparing for that day, that assurance that we want in our standing in God and our standing in Jesus. And believe me, I get that. And I know so many of you out there tonight are probably going, man, I wish I had more assurance. I wish I felt better with where I'm at with the Lord. That assurance is gonna be yours if you start living daily this way. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses three through 12. 2 Peter 1, three through 12. Peter says this, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us to become his precious and very great promises. He's granted us his, very, his precious and very great promises so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Yes, that's what I want, Paul. I want to escape this world because of the corruption of sinful desire. I want the promises of God. I want all those things. Paul, what does that look like? Verse five, for this very reason then, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. 
and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Confirm it. Confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that, you have. Y'all, you want to know that you're saved? You want to have a, a sense of assurance? Are you living a godly life? Are you living a life where you are keeping in step with the Spirit? Because if you're not, and you're sitting there going, dude, I doubt my salvation, I'm going to say, of course you do. Of course you do. Man, if you, if you want to feel secure in Jesus, follow Jesus with your life. But if you're living a life where you're running from the things that Jesus loves, don't expect to feel warm and fuzzy about your relationship with God. Now, we're not talking about getting saved. Getting saved is about repenting from your sins, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, period, end of story. Transaction over. You're saved. No, I'm saying, if you're out there and you're going, man, I wish I had a more vibrant relationship with the Lord. I wish I had more confidence in my relationship with Jesus. It's about keeping in step with the Spirit. It's about testing yourself, like Paul's talking about here. It's about holding your life up to the, the fruit of the Spirit passage here in Galatians 5, or this list of virtues in 2 Peter chapter 1, or in Colossians chapter 3 when Paul talks about the, hey, you know what, put off these things, put on these things. Have you ever wondered why the Bible spills so much ink on these pages talking about all these things that we should be seeing in our life? It's not because Paul had to turn in a certain number of pages and he was just looking for fluff. No, it's because there's a reason for them. And the reason is that we would take our lives and, and use these things as spiritual inventory checklists in our lives and hold our lives up to these passages and going, do I see, what do I see in my life? Am I putting this off and putting this on? Or am I putting this on and putting this off? Christians, if you want assurance, if you want security, take time this week even this week to put yourself to these tests. Galatians 5, 2 Peter 1, Colossians 3. Those three passages, spend time this week with pen and paper in hand and make a list of the things that you see in there that Christians should be exemplifying in their lives. And then spend time prayerfully examining your life. Saying, God, where, where am I in that? Am I ready to stand before you, Jesus? And if you find things in there that don't measure up, ask yourself, why don't they measure up? What do I need to do to bring myself in line with this? What do I need to change about my life? See, if, if someone genuinely loves the one that they are confronting, it's gonna come from a person who's already done this. They've examined their own life. They've got a, a rich, deep walk with Christ where they are keeping in step with the Spirit. And that they are loving their brothers and sisters in Christ because that's just an overflow of their relationship with Jesus. It's not that they're coming at you with holier than now, I'm gonna pound you into submission with my Bible kind of mindset. 
It's no, I, I love you and I care about you and I know how dangerous sin is and I just want to let you know I'm concerned about this. Y'all, those are the friendships that we need in our lives. And I would also encourage you this week to spend time thinking about your friends and ask yourself, is that the type of people that I've surrounded myself with? Ask yourself, am I that type of friend with them? And I want to encourage you as we end tonight and say this, look, if you're sitting out there tonight and you're going, yeah, I haven't been that kind of friend. It's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. And the place that it starts is it begins with you committing even this week to saying, I'm going to do some introspection in my own life. I'm going to see where I'm at with keeping in step with the Spirit in my own life. Because I want to be prepared to stand before Jesus. I also want to be ready to, to be a, a godly influence in the, the lives of my friends. It starts with a decision that you have to make to say, okay, I'm going to start doing things differently. I'm going to start taking my walk with Christ a little bit more seriously. And then I'm going to let, I'm going to let him use me as I pursue him in that. But let me just warn you that the lie that you're going to hear in your ear as you set yourself towards that end, the lie that's going to come in over and over and over again, which is just nothing but a lie from the enemy, is you can't say anything to them. You're a hypocrite. You've done the same things. They've seen you do the same things. You can't, you can't say anything to them. You're a hypocrite. Don't let that stop you. Don't be derailed by the enemy. Don't be derailed by Satan. There's nothing he wants less than to see Christians loving each other this way. Christians having a vested interest in the godliness of, of one, another, one another's lives. Nothing he wants to see less. Don't let him defeat you. If he tells you you're a hypocrite, you say, I am a hypocrite, but you know what? Jesus has forgiven me. My hypocrisy was nailed to the cross. I've repented from it. I've turned from my sin. I'm forgiven. And now I'm going to go love my friends the way that Christ wants me to love my friends. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful. Thankful for our relationship that we have with you. Thankful for your work in our lives to change us, to transform us. Thankful for grace, God. It's such an amazing thing. And I myself am so often thankful that, man, I get to wake up tomorrow and it's a new day. Your mercies are new every morning, God. What an amazing promise. I, I pray that tonight would be a night where there's a stake driven in the ground with friendships here tonight, even maybe even in one-on-one -on -one conversations that happen afterwards or during small groups, even a group of guys or a group of ladies together saying, look, let's, let's resolve to start doing this with each other, to start being more faithful to do this in each other's lives because we need this, God. Being a part of a church is such a blessing because you've put us into a community of believers to love one another this way. That as we look to our own lives and try to guard against sin in our own lives, God, you've given us people, family members who care about us and love us enough to pull us aside and, and help us to see our blind spots, help us to see areas that we may not be aware even exist. And so, Lord, we are so thankful for that. Keep us humble in this process, I pray, God. Guard us against the self-deception of pride. Guard us against that holier-than-thou mindset. But Lord, may, may we be effective. May we put aside the fear of man for the fear of God 
to love one another well in this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.